0: Welcome to Cube Pushers, a podcast all about designer board and card games with a little bit of attitude. Here are your hosts, Bill Corey and Chris Dunbar. Welcome to Cube Pushers, the designer board and card game podcast with a little attitude. This is episode number three, recorded on August 27th, 2012. I'm Bill Corey.
1: And I'm Chris Dunbar.
0: Welcome to the show, folks. If you've never listened to us before, we are a podcast all about designer board and card games. And without further review, let's dive right into the stuff we've been playing. Chris has gotten to the game table a lot more than I have this last week, which is probably okay in the grand scheme of things. He's got a bunch of stuff. What's the castle of the devil, Chris? Chris.
1: The castle of the devil is a steaming pile of dung. Uh, <laughs> no,
0: it it is a. <laughs> It's a game. It's uh,
1: one of these, you know, kind of co-op-y, have-to-find-the-traitor kind of games uh, along the lines of, like, Werewolf or the Resistance, like we'll be talking about later in the show. Sure. Basically, there's two teams sitting at the table. Each team uh, is working against the other. um, They have to try to collect a set of three cards that belongs to their team, and they need to do it before the other team does. Uh, It's all hidden roles, so nobody knows who's on anybody's team when the game starts. And on your turn, you are basically, you have four options. You can declare a duel against somebody else at the table. You can perform the spy action, which basically you look at one random card in their hand or you can propose a trade with any other player at the table, or you can try to declare victory for your team. The, of those four actions, obviously the three you're going to be using most often, because uh, you're not going to try to declare victory until the end, obviously. Uh, of the three you're going to be using most often, the spy action is, is very underpowered. You're basically taking a random card from somebody's hand and looking at it just to see what it is, and then giving it right back to them. In hands, And uh, cards do not stay in players' hands often at all. So having that knowledge is going to be very short-lived and be foolish.
0: Unless you're um, one of those memory nuts that can remember where the cards pass from turn to turn. Oh, sure. And is that but possible? Pe- pe-
1: No, because people are going to have anywhere from one to five cards in their hand. Oh, okay. So as soon as someone gets more than one card in their hand, you have no idea what that card is anymore. Yep. The trade option is is interesting because you may be trading with someone who's not on your team. You basically, on your turn, you can propose a trade with someone. You slide them a card face down. They take a look at it, and if they want to accept your trade, then they have to give you one of the cards out of their hand. Some of the cards, when you do a trade, will uh, trigger effects right away. Um, which are kind of neat. So once teammates find each other, they can kind of use this mechanic to keep trading stuff back and forth to keep triggering good stuff for their team. Okay. Um, the primary way to discover who's on whose team... Uh, who are the good guys and who are the bad guys from your point of view is by dueling somebody. Uh, You can declare a duel against somebody else. All other players at the table will declare whether they are going to be uh, on your side or against your side. So either they are attacking with you or they are defending the other player with that other player. Okay. Um, And then you can play different card modifiers and whatever. Eventually a winner will be determined. There could be ties but typically there's going to be a winner determined and whoever the winner is of that duel gets to either look at... um, the other player's entire hand and take one card, or look at their loyalty cards. So they can find out whose team they're on. So obviously, towards the beginning of the game, when you win a duel, you're going to be trying to find out who's uh, loyal to what team. Okay. The weird thing, though, about that game is that you can find if you, if you're constantly dueling somebody and other people are not performing duels, you're going to know a lot more information than other players. You're going to know the loyalties of the other players before other people at the at the table do. So there's kind of a lopsidedness to that. And then the, the other strange thing, uh, uh, as opposed to these other games like Werewolf and the Resistance, is where, where those games is the primary objective is finding out who your teammates are and destroying the other team. Here, if you find out who your teammates are fairly quickly but then you have to spend the next half an hour trying to win the game with your teammates which is kind okay. of a little bit silly to me i don't really know. okay yeah all
0: right i you know this is one of the da vinci line uh, michael palman lucas zach it uh, looks like uh designed it released in 2006 was this one of the ones that mayfair um co-printed or was this was this yeah, after i'm, they I'm not plays. exactly
1: sure of the origins of this one yeah I, I i don't own it um kirby in our group owns it okay um yeah, so uh, okay. it's fine. It, the artwork is nice. The mechanics seemed really interesting when they were being explained. In practice, uh, certain mechanics seem to work better than others. Just think the game outstays its welcome. Uh, like okay. I said, a- everyone can learn about the other team uh, within you a know, couple laps around the table, and then after that, it's just a big back-and-forth match of who can get the three cards that they need first for their team to win. Okay. The other frustrating thing is if somebody is particularly doing... Fewer duels than everybody else, they could be totally clueless. There might be five people at the table that know exactly what's going on, and a sixth player who's like, "I don't know what I'm doing." Okay. And everybody points and laughs at them.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. And so, is that you, now? And the only way that you really gain knowledge is by winning duels, right? Not just being in them. Like if you, right, correct. Somebody challenges you, and you get your butt kicked. You don't find out anything except for, right. "Hey, I got my butt kicked," and now he knows who I am. Right. Okay. Right.
1: So right. as you learn who teammates are, you know, you obviously your teammates can help defend you in a duel or help you attack in a duel, but but there's so many modifiers in battles. Like, there's a, there's a weapon that, you know, works in if, if you're on the attacking team, and there's a weapon that works if you're on the defending team, and there's a weapon that works not if you're being attacked, but only if you're defending directly to you, not as a supporting character. And there's so many of these things you'd think it would have variety, but everybody, it, it seemed, at least in the game we played, they're evenly distributed amongst everybody that's just kind of how it worked okay so it's just a oh we're you know the the duel is now four to three. Oh, i throw this one in, it's four to four nope and now it's five to four
0: okay. and
1: it was just kind of foolish at the end i don't know
0: so it just becomes sort of a take that game with hidden hidden allegiances yeah. sort of huh yeah you, th- you think you'll play it again nope so thumb down from you
1: yeah, I'm, I might try it again. There some people raised some good points when the game was done, you know, trying to negate the, the things that I brought up that I didn't like about the game. I might try it again just to see if there's any weight to that, but I doubt it because I'm
0: usually right. <laughs> you, wish. <laughs> you wish. You wish. You wish. All right, so what else did you get to play, Chris?
1: So after Castle the Devil finished up, we were waiting for another guy to show up, so we said, hey, let's play a really quick game, and what better quick game to play with a bunch of fools sitting around a table than Spot It. Spot It's a game by Blue Orange Games that comes in a not only a tin, which I know you hate, Bill, yeah. but it comes in a circular tin, which makes it even awesomer for putting on your game shelf. We'll, um,
0: we'll get back to the tin in a second.
1: Yeah, yeah. So anyway, it was designed by uh, Dennis Blanchot, Guillaume Guise Naves, and Igor Plauachine.
0: We apologize yeah. wholeheartedly to anyone that speaks French.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that is me being American right there.
0: We'll include we'll include those names in the show notes so you can pronounce them for yourselves. <laughs>
1: yes, you can have fun with those names all by yourself. Anyway, <laughs> it came out in two thousand nine. Super fun little game, Bill. I know you enjoy this one, too. But basically, uh, there's a stack of circular cards. Those circular cards have probably like a dozen images on them. And every single card has one symbol on the card that matches exactly one other symbol on another card. Um, which is really kind of interesting once you start thinking about, you know, how they had to design that game. Yeah. But anyway, there's a, there's a stack of like 50 or 60 cards. Um, they're all it's face up in the middle of the table. Okay, so everyone can see the top card and, and all of the images that are on it. And then everyone is dealt face down uh, uh, their secret card. And then on the count of three, when you start the game, everyone flips their card over and they have to try to match the symbol on their card with the symbol uh, on the card in the center. And whoever does it first grabs that card, adds it to their personal stack, and now that card that they just claimed becomes their new card that they're operating with. And now they have to use that new card to try to match up with the new center card that was just revealed in the middle of the table. So basically it's just a big uh, grab of, you know, who can identify their objects that match faster than the other player. Grab the card. It's a, it's a big, fast, furious mess. The game's over and about I don't know, 60, 90 seconds, something like that. Obviously, whoever has the most cards in front of them at the end of the game wins because that means they match more symbols than anybody else.
0: Right. And this game, you know, we've actually talked about this before on the show, that there are some games that I think the experience that you get around the table is more important than the mechanics of the game that you're playing. And in my mind, Spotted is definitely one of those, because seriously, if it was just a visual matching game, there would be nothing really compelling about it. But when you get five, six guys all standing Around a table shouting at each other, and especially when a couple of them start to occasionally blurt out obscenities because they get frustrated because they can't ever see anything, and well, suddenly it becomes this crazy shouting match of people sh- because you have to call out the name of the thing that you matched, right? You like you have yeah. to sh- you shout the name of it. So right, and
1: not all of them are like obvious, especially for new players. You know, it's like, okay, what the hell do I call this? Is it a mm-hmm. spider web? Is it a green splotch? I mean, some of them are obvious, like question mark or flame or match or. But yes. yeah, so it's kind of fun just seeing people trying to. They know exactly what they what 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 item matches. They just don't know how the hell to say it.
0: Yeah, it, yep. it, there's a lot yep. of that stuff, and it's just it's just an absolute hoot I, about the tin. I promised I would come back to this in a second. This is one of the few games that gets a free pass from me on this on the at having a tin and it being round also, and that's only because it's so small that who cares? I mean, it doesn't take yeah. up any space. You can almost stick this thing in your pocket, literally. So that's true. If, if you ever see this one in the stores, folks, pick it up. This is a no brainer as far as a good light filler. You can play this with kids. You can play with anybody. It's just yeah, I mean,
1: I, I've I've played it before with my with my four year old and uh, my seven year old, and they just have a blast at it. Uh, you know, my four year old's a little bit slower than 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 my seven year old or myself, but we you know we give them a little bit of time and and uh, yeah, it's totally fun. And there's also a ton of variants in the rulebook too, um, which we've never played before. But there's a ton of different things you can do with this one deck of cards, so it's pretty fun.
0: Yeah, no, it's good,
1: awesome. quick little filler. Uh, obviously, you know, no game snobs. Uh, are gonna, you know, think it's the most epic game on earth. But for a game that takes 90 seconds, I can't imagine anyone not having fun with it. Unless they completely suck at it. Yeah. Uh, Dan, Dan, the Red in our game group actually sat the game out because he had played it once before. And a typical ending score is like 20 cards, like 20 points. You have 20 cards in front of you. The one and only time he had played, he had one card in front of him. So he had already declared himself a moron at the game and did not <laughs> want to prove himself a moron again by playing it. Uh,
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Well, oh, poor Dan, poor Dan. Uh,
1: but you know, that's another game though too. If you're sitting out, you're probably having just as much fun as yeah. the guys playing because it's it's a great spectator sport.
0: <laughs> yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. All right. Well,
1: Where'd you get to play?
0: I am a really bad when it comes to scheduling, and I am one of those guys that. I own a smartphone. I have a schedule that I keep on my calendar. And every once in a while, all that stuff works. And then, well, sometimes it just doesn't. And so I got pulled into a meeting last night that I had forgotten I was I was committed to go to. And when I got done with it, I realized that my meeting was not real far away from a buddy of mine who's been wanting me to come over and play some board games so I wandered over to his place last night, um, later, and I think it was, and I don't know, we shouldn't have still been gaming on a work night, I guess, but um, we played London for the first time. This is the Maypair Games uh, Martin Wallace title from 2010. It was originally one of the Tree Frog Games titles. Um, for lack of a better term... The only way that I know how to describe this is that it's sort of a, there's an area control aspect to it, but it's primarily a card game. The idea is that you'll have this hand of cards that, well, sometimes you'll have a hand of cards, sometimes you won't. And you'll be playing the cards in front of you to form a little tableau. And the tableau is going to have districts, i.e. stacks in front of it. And it's up to you how many stacks you want to form. The bigger you want your section of the city to be, the bigger, you know, the bigger it can be. You just make more stacks. The idea is that each stack will trigger once when you get around to actually quote unquote running your city, doing whatever it is that your cards do. And then most cards will flip face down, but well, maybe not most cards, but a lot of them will flip face down after having done something, meaning that that card won't be able to be activated again. And there's no way to flip it back up. So some cards are one shot. Some cards are gifts that keep on giving. Some cards require money or other cards to activate them when you go to run your city. Some cards cost extra money to put down on the table. And every card requires, well not quite every card, almost every card, requires you to discard another card of a matching color to this face up set that you can that other players can draw from. And then so think of that sort of like it's almost got a little bit of race for the galaxy in a way, because you know you've got a handful of these cards and here's the two blue cards. Okay. And do I want to play this one and get this effect or and pitch the other one. Or play that other one and pitch the first one, you know, so there's a little bit of hand management going on. Um, it's a Martin Wallace game. So of course you can go ridiculously into debt and never climb back out. That's always an, that's always an option in any of his games. It's very, I guess, realistic. (laughs) I don't know. You know, his games, his (laughs) games tend to be tend to be very steeped in theme and this one definitely does all of the buildings make a certain amount of sense they are of a few different categories there's common buildings which are like brown which are primary sources of money and then there's there's civil buildings which are i think blue and they are they are sources of lots of victory points and then there's Pink buildings, I don't even know what those are, but they're just sort of the weird buildings that do strange and unusual things like the building the underground and whatever. I've heard the game described before as an engine building game where the engine flies apart every time you turn it on, and I guess I kind of understand that. I didn't, I found it really counterintuitive. I think that I enjoyed myself, but I, maybe I'm just getting dumber in my old age, Chris, but I did not <laughs> feel like I knew what I was doing. For about the first third of the game, I had no concept yeah. of whether I was doing well or not. I mean, I, yeah,
1: yeah, I've, I, I played the game once before, and I definitely had a similar feeling. It, it, it is one of those games where it does take you a good hunk of the game just to get your head around how it's all working and how everything interacts. I enjoyed it when I played it. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's it's decent. I definitely want to dig farther into it. I think this is another one that I need to get to the table at least a couple more times. Before I really decide whether I want to, you know, own it for one thing. I don't think that this, based on that first play, I don't know that this would be a buy for me, but I definitely wouldn't turn it down if somebody else wanted it and brought it to the table. I'm, I'm a pretty big Martin Wallace fanboy, but this mm-hmm. one is counterintuitive enough that I think the learning curve is pretty steep and I, th- I would not be surprised if that steep learning curve turned people off of the game and wanting to dig deeper. It's not that the game outstays its welcome but it's so hard to get your foot in the door on it i yeah. don't, it just felt really strange so
1: well in in wallace games for the most part the mechanics seem fairly intuitive You know, in in a lot of his games, it's just that a lot of his games have a lot of little fiddly rules that you have to constantly remember. And I think that's where a lot of confusion comes in with some of his games and trying to wrap your head around it. Sure. This game, though, does not feel intuitive. No. I don't think at all. Not like his other games do.
0: Yeah. And there's really none of those fiddly rules that he's famous for. Right. I mean, one or two, like you can only cross the river at the bridges. Well, duh. Of course, you <laughs> cross a river at a bridge. I'm fine with that. You know, I mean, I, I know that the guy that was teaching the game considered that a fiddly rule, and I was like, well, no, that's just thematic, and that works in my head. But the gameplay itself just feels, you know what? It feels a little clunky. That's the that's the only word I can think of. It The, the yeah. game doesn't have a good flow when you're learning it. It just kind of is happening, and you don't ever get into any kind of a rhythm, or at least it didn't feel like it to me, until the very end. Maybe at the very end of the game, so maybe with a couple more plays, it might get there. But learning, is it's a brutal one to learn. I mean, it's not yeah. not very accessible at all. So I give it a thumbs up. Learn the game from somebody that knows how to play it. Dear God, don't go buy it blind and try to teach yourself out of the rule book. I think that that'll end badly for you and your whole game group. I honestly do. So find somebody else to teach it to you first. I give it a thumbs up. Buying it straight out of the box, I don't know.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll definitely give it a thumbs-up as well on the one play that I've had. I definitely would want to play it more, though, and I think that that, that thumbs-up could could change with more plays, or it could stay the same and, and, and get even more thumb up year.
0: Sure. <laughs> there you go.
1: All right. So last week I also got to play uh, a game of Tobago, um, Tobago is a interesting, uh, fairly, I guess. I guess it's thematic. I, I don't know. In my head, some people define thematic games, you know, differently than than I guess I would. I feel like I'm. Uh, it, it's a treasure hunting game, okay? Everyone's out there hunting treasure on this island of Tobago, and you're driving around your little SUV and trying to collect your treasures and your amulets and all this wonderful stuff. And the cool thing, though, about the treasure hunt is that the treasures don't actually exist until they do, okay? There's different colored treasures, which I guess is kind of foolish. There's the brown treasure and the gray treasure and the white treasure and the black treasure and i guess you don't really feel like you're you know you're searching for you know uh, some lost idol or something like your indiana jones but it's still kind of neat, but how? what I mean by the fact that there's no treasure until there is treasure is the fact that all of these treasures exist somewhere on the board, but you don't know where until people play cards out. And Every time someone plays the card associated with a particular treasure, or I, I guess I should say they associate the card with whatever treasure they want, and by doing so, they, they slowly and slowly narrow down where that treasure exists on the board, so... There's different terrain on the board. So someone might play a card saying, okay, the black treasure does not exist in the largest mountain range. So now you know that the black treasure is going to be on some hex on the board that's not the largest mountain range. Mm -hmm. Okay, then someone else might play another one. Well, the black treasure is not only not in the largest mountain range, but it's also on the beach. You know, and eventually you're going to have enough of these clues to narrow it down, and you can start putting cubes on the board. So each treasure is identified by cubes on the board. Um, once you have like, I I think it's like 15, 17, something like that locations on the board that you have this treasure narrowed down to, you can start putting cubes on the board. As you narrow the treasure down further, you're removing more cubes on the board until eventually there's only going to be one cube on the board left. And that's exactly where the treasure is because right, right, exactly. So many cards, uh, have been played on that particular colored treasure that you have it narrowed down to exactly one hex. Right. Um, so then you go over there, you, you can drive your little SUV to that hex and claim the treasure, and what does that mean? Well, every, everyone who's helped put clue cards into the, the search for that treasure, so say the blue player put in three clue cards and the yellow player put in one, um, each of those people are going to get a certain number of treasure cards that they get to look at, uh, and then there's going to be one that's, that's kind of secretly put aside so then you take all the treasure cards that each of those players has gotten to look at. They don't get to look at each other's cards, just the ones they were dealt. And obviously they get to look at more cards if they had more involvement in the treasure hunt. Um, so they have more information. Then you gather up all those cards, you shuffle them up, and you flip over the top card in, in a in a set order. Basically the order you played out the clue cards. Someone gets to either decide if they want that treasure card that was just flipped up or not. Uh, the treasure cards go anywhere from 2 to 6 gold. Um, so if you were dealt say three cards out of the five treasure cards and you, you know three of them were twos, you know that probably if you're given anything other than a two, it's probably gonna be one of the best treasure cards that there are. So if you reveal you know, say a four, you would you would pick that card and leave the twos that you already know are in there for somebody else. Right? Uh, whoever has the most treasure at the end of the game wins. Sure. You think this
0: one's thematic, huh?
1: In my don't you, you know, you're you're looking for the treasure. You're on this fancy little beach. You got your big SUV. It's like, <laughs> oh, look at me, I'm driving my Escalade looking for treasure, even though nobody that owns the Escalade has ever treasure hunted. Basically, right, yeah, they no just kidding. they drive to the mall. But you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, it's it's fun. I okay, it might not be thematic, but I like it.
0: It's beautiful.
1: I it's will say it's gorgeous.
0: It is, it is a gorgeous game as far as bits go. And this is this is from a podcast that names themselves Cube Pushers. Okay, this is a beautiful, beautiful game. I mean, there's actual little like palm trees you put out there. The little trucks and jeeps or whatever are cool. There's little Moai statues that turn and and yep. place amulets out there, and the amulets help you move. You know, so yep. I mean, it's it it is a gorgeous game. I can't flip and stand it. I know, really. Yeah, I'm Why? not a fan. i do not, know. and I don't know. I like bring it. The- I like deduction games in general, okay, but this isn't... A, yeah, it's not really a deduction game. Yeah, but see, but it wants to be. It tries to pretend that it is.
1: well no, I don't you're, think so. I mean, may, if you go into it saying, oh, I'm playing a deduction game, and then you end and say, oh, that wasn't a d- d- deduction game. I don't think that's the game's fault. I think that's your fault for thinking it was Clue.
0: Or the person that taught me the game's fault for... this. that good point?
1: Yeah, yeah. If, if somebody says, come play this wonderful deduction game, yeah, that's that's a bait and switch. It's not a deduction game, no. Because there there is no ultimate answer but, previously determined,
0: but it looks like it based on how the game plays. This is actually sort of similar in a way to Android yep. when it comes to that. You know, Android could it looks like it should be a deduction game and really isn't either. You know, right. you're supposedly trying to find out who the murderer is amongst these suspects, but it doesn't exist till it exists because everybody's piling evidence on these people. It's basically, wow. it's basically that, but with a board and cubes and little treasure cards instead of a murder. I mean, right.
1: And it plays in like a third of the time and well, it's sure. awesome.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. 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 But I mean, but I mean, you know, from, from a, a game concept idea, I think the two games are very, very similar where, sure. and whereas I enjoy Android because I can dive into the flavor and the theme and, and all that stuff. Tobago, Tobago, what you say, Tobago? I say Tobago. Um, <laughs> whatever. It just felt kind of flat for me. It was pretty, and it was not exciting to me. I don't know. It just, right. it just wasn't there for me. But I'm glad you like. Fair enough.
1: It. Yeah. I'm well. And you compare it to something like Android, um, which I you know why i was famous on board game geek for saying that i hate android and i think it's very non thematic compared to android though yeah android's far more thematic than tobago i'll definitely say that (laughs) but i'd still rather play tobago about 84 times
0: there you go go. so thumb up from you thumb up for me thumb meh for me i'll give it a meh. meh. i don't know it's not it's not really down it's fine if everybody wants to play it i'll play i just don't care it was kind of bleh all right, so you got to play Loco or Botswana or whatever that is—it's called this week. That game. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> the, the game was published originally back in 1994. It's a Reiner Knizia card game. Plays in like five minutes, m- maybe six. Um, it's been like I said, it's been around since 1994. It had about a thousand and one different names assigned to yeah. it. Um, the version I played was released by Fantasy Flight in 2003, and that version was called Loco. And I say it like that because there's an exclamation point after it, hey. kind of like. Quarriers. <laughs> uh The current iteration is called Botswana, and it's uh, animal-themed. I don't know how you apply any theme to this game. I know Canizia Games are famous for being able to apply any theme to them whatsoever. Yeah. I was perfectly happy just thinking, oh, it's, an, it's a numbery card game with hand management. I didn't need to think, oh, i am got a zoo or whatever the heck kind of safari-themed Botswana is, but supposed to have tied to it uh, it's a fun quick little uh, uh hand management game i give it a thumbs up
0: yep i've played this one before i didn't realize that actually when i saw it in the show notes until you started describing the game yeah. um, but i have played this once or twice and yeah this one's not bad this was actually originally published as a game called flinka pinka which is how i had played it that's why i didn't recognize it because it wasn't called loco or botswana when i played it it was flinka pinka an amigo spiel game from way back in the day and then Milton Bradley reissued it as Quandry and then Loco and then Botswana. And there was reimplemented as a game called Thor. It's been around in a million different variations. And yeah, I played it. It's all right. It's all right. All right. You can't you expect, know- don't expect it to be something it's not. I mean, it's no, it's right, yeah, for sure. No yeah, great no- dive into strategy, but it's okay.
1: Well, you know, we touched on Spotted earlier. We talked mm-hmm. about that. You know, that game plays in like you know ninety seconds, True. and I think I think the mechanics are appropriate for that. Yep, the Loco plays in like five minutes, and I think the mechanics are appropriate for that. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, the, neither of these games are things you're gonna want to play for a half an hour straight, which I know does still seems like a short game, but these games are really suited towards the under 10-minute play time, and, and I think it's perfect for that.
0: Sure. No, I would agree with that. So, thumbs up for you. You know,
1: you. I just realized, looking at the... Yeah, I'm sorry. Thumbs up for me, thumbs up for you?
0: Sure. Sure, nice. we'll go with that. But, sure.
1: You know, looking at the lineage that this game has taken, and the, the different iterations it has taken on since 1994, everyone gives Kenizia crap for being having these seamless, horrible games, but you know it's genius i mean look at the longevity he's gotten out of this game call it something new and they'll buy it again it's going to
0: be great (laughs) you know what (laughs) that's actually not a bad point when you make a game that other people can say you know what this is a great game if we just give it a little bit of window dressing we can sell it sell it all over again and you'll make more money you know there's maybe this he's not maybe we shouldn't pick on the guy so much huh he might he might be onto something there exactly so all right well i have as i've been saying i've been trying to include at least one ipad iphone game each episode and this time i'm gonna step a little bit out of my comfort zone i'm gonna talk about a game that only exists on the ipad and iphone this game does not exist in a cardboard fashion but don't panic it's not a video game so to speak it's called new world colony uh designed and sold by eric Asmussen, 2011 the game has a sort of vibe about it, sort of quasi settlers. Like the idea is that there is a hex grid. Um, you start out in one location and it gives you a, a choice, you know, it'll randomly generate a map and then say, okay, here are the different hexes you can start on. Which one do you want to start with? And the hexes will either produce food or wood or stone or gold. Um, and the idea is that you take those three resources and you can use them to build more stuff on different hexes, conquering an adjacent hex or then building a building on that hex in order to soup up whatever it produces. And so, for instance, fields produce food, woods produce, you know, wood, mountains produce stone, et cetera. Sounds boring, right? So far, nothing really exciting here. Here's right. the, here's the beautiful thing about this game. There is no luck in the game whatsoever except for a slight variation in how much stuff each hex produces. So let's say, for instance, a baseline hex produces five food, and then you build this uh, granary on it, so now it might produce between eight and ten food. But other than that, the direct conflict part comes in you have to expend victory points and resources in order to take over an opponent's stuff. There's an area control aspect to it in that if you control all of the portions of a specific land type that are all adjacent to one another, then you can earn more victory points for that and more action points. So you start out with the X number of action points on a turn, and if you build your area intelligently, you'll get more action points, which you can then do to use to build more stuff. You play to either a set number of victory points is usually a 100, I think, or by completely wiping out your opponent. It's, it's a two-player game, um, and the AI is pretty solid. So, I mean, when you're playing this thing, you're playing against a good AI, and a game will be usually done in about 45 minutes or so. It's just solid. There's nothing maybe super groundbreaking about this game, but it's got a lot of really interesting tactical decisions each turn. You know, do I want to try and make a land grab and pick up this entire realm of Forests, if I do, that's great, I'll earn more points, but now my food production is down, so I don't have enough food to be able to do this stuff, so I might have to trade. You can trade with an in-game trading house, selling stuff for gold or buying it with gold. So, you know, I can sell a bunch of food to pick up a bunch of gold and then use that to buy wood or vice versa or whatever. And the goods actually devalue and increase in value based on scarcity. If a lot of people have been selling wood, wood won't be worth as much later on. Whereas if, if everybody's been buying it because nobody's got a bunch of it, well, then it may be, you know, prohibitively expensive. So it's almost Wealth of Nations ish in that aspect. Um, but it's definitely a resource management game. It, I don't know. I just really like it. I, you know, I've played probably 15, 20 games. I consider myself a fairly sharp cookie and I don't win more than half of them. I would say if right. I've won half, that would be amazing against the AI on medium. So maybe I just suck, but. i I don't know it's it's a solid one it's cheap i think it's i think it's a 99 cent game maybe a dollar 99 it's not it's not real expensive so it's it's just a good solid title if you're an ipad or iphone owner new world colony you could you could do a lot worse excellent thumbs up thumbs up the last thing that i want to touch on is i'm going to um i mentioned this in a previous episode that I started the descent second edition uh, campaign that was straight up in the box. And I want to kind of throw this out there. um, And I want to amend my previous review slightly is I guess where this comes from. Um, When I had said before that I really was enjoying the campaign and I really thought that the rules were solid and they had done a great job with this. I stand by most of that. However, I am going to say this. If you play Descent, be leery of some of the scenarios and make sure that you have a nice long conversation with everybody around the table before you start playing. And the reason why I say that is because there are a couple of things in this game that I think were really poor choices and I cannot figure out for the life of me why they did them. So instead of this being just a grand hurrah, hurrah, hurrah review like it was last time, I want to amend this a little bit and say, I think this might be a play before you pay game now, um, especially the campaign. Like as a one-off, it's fine. You know, who cares? If somebody else has it, that's great. But if you're going to buy the sucker, you want to do a little bit of reading, I think, and have a conversation with your players. Like for instance, here's a great example. You ever play much in the way of like tabletop war games back in the day, Chris?
1: No, no. Okay.
0: You ever have to deal with line of sight issues? Yes. Okay.
1: I I played Conquest of Heroes a few years back, and there's line of sight and whatnot in there. Uh, yep.
0: Okay. If, when you create a line of sight system for a game, you go center to center, right? Doesn't that just make sense to center of yes. this? Yeah. No, not in descent. In the sec- <laughs> second edition, you go from any corner of the starting square to any corner of the other square. And as long, wow. any corner to any corner. And there are, it, the internet is ripe, especially Board Game Geek. You want a really interesting couple conversations, go read the forums about examples that people have drawn out of how somehow this guy is invisible here. But if I, if he steps backwards and farther behind the rock, now I can trace a line and see him.
1: <laughs> right. And yeah. That, that's it, awesome.
0: Are. It's stupid. I I mean, it is flat out stupid. And I think that before you start playing, you need to sit down with players and be like, look, are we going to use the stupid line of sight that they give us and try and suspend disbelief for two hours? Or are we going to just use common sense? Because if you assume common sense, you will get burned. Right. Just just flat out. No, you will because you'll be you'll set up for something that seems like it's obvious. Like I'm hiding behind this corner of this wall, and by a super strict interpretation of the rules, he can, for all intents and purposes, see through the wall.
1: That's that's lame.
0: What? Yeah. So no, just eh, that's.
1: So so you're gonna be house ruling that one then?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the second thing is that when you play the game, you play a few regular quests and then you play what's called an interlude halfway through the campaign. Our campaign just finished the interlude section. We have just finished the first half. We're about to start act two. Um and the interlude scenario that they wrote might be one of the biggest piles of crap I have ever played in an adventure game. And I that I it I was genuinely angry after after starting this game. Now I knew that it was going to be a big scenario okay I'm fine with that. But let's take a scenario. Okay, so, Chris, here we go. You ready? I'm Next ready. a game of American football where both teams are trying to get to the same end zone. Go! <laughs> right? That's basically the scenario that we played. The players start out, like, the overlord has a bunch of monsters, and the players start out with a rock on one end of the field for lack of a better term, and they have to get out the other end of the field. You have a character and you have exactly one character that you have to take that rock from them and get out the same space that they're already trying to get out to. Ooh, wow. the kitchen builds as all the Overlord does is pile every monster he can cram onto the board into that last space and just physically prevents the heroes from leaving. Oh, and by the way, he gets to respawn one of them for free every turn.
1: Oh, wow, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. Um, unless maybe I missed something and I didn't understand what I was reading and I'm pretty sure I understood what I was reading. This is almost, in my ever so humble definition, the epitome of a broken written scenario. It We played for, I believe it was about four hours in this scenario and the players were maybe halfway through, maybe. Wow. Could have easily played another three, easily, without breaking a sweat. And I finally looked at... I'm the overlord in this campaign, and I finally looked at the four adventure players, and I said, tell you what, I'll just hand you guys the the magic item that you're trying to escape with if you give me an extra experience point so I can buy a groovy new card for my deck. And they were like, good, thank God. And that was it. (laughs) So literally, like, we just said, this is stupid, we don't need to do this anymore. So,
1: Yeah, that doesn't sound awesome.
0: I left a bad taste in our mouth here. So... We're hoping to get another session in, in the next couple days. So keep, stay tuned, dear listener. Um, and you know, we'll give you, I'll keep updating this one. So that way you guys can hear what I think about stuff in the future. But so far I'm telling you, man, this is where I'm at and it is not a pretty place.
1: Wow, so just not not even as a, a a hardcore first edition Descent fan going to second edition and being disappointed, but just as a game in general it's disappointing in some aspects.
0: That's the thing, the system is still rock solid. The actual game mechanics are solid. Uh, the, except for the line of sight thing, that's just stupid. I don't know whose idea that was, but that person needs to be beaten with a wooden spoon for a couple minutes. Okay. Just a poor choice. But the scenario writing I I'm I would love to have been around for one of those playtests. I would like to see how the people that think that this was how it's supposed to be would play it. Let's put it that way. I'd right. like to see how other people would play that scenario because it didn't make a damn bit of sense to me or anybody else around the table. And that's going some. Wow. So, game system, big thumbs up. Game scenarios so far meh tending towards thumbs down. Well, wow. Maybe it'll get better, but right now, not impressed with the campaign. Maybe they'll come out with some fixes, but who knows?
1: All right.
0: All right, let's take a look at what's in the news. This is this one's a big one for me. Rob Davio, the brains behind Risk Legacy, Hero Escape, Betrayal at House on the Hill. I'm assuming that's the reprint of Betrayal, um, is leaving Hasbro starting his own game company called Ironwall Games, huh? I like yeah. it. I like it. They're going to do original titles, provide design development, rules consulting to other game companies. Good for you, Rob Davio. Get the heck out of there while you can. While your yeah, creativity is still there and you haven't been absorbed.
1: Right. Yeah, no, I think uh, I think that's good.
0: No, I think that's awesome. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what they come out with. I tell you what, I I honestly think that this guy is and i'm just gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna gush a little bit here everybody knows what i think about risk legacy already but um i'm gonna gush and say that i think this guy might be an honest to god visionary when it comes to game design not just making good games but making good interesting nobody's done this before games and i kind of dig that so i'm Looking forward to where where he goes with Iron Wall Games. That'll be good. Stay tuned.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Speaking of Risk Legacy, there's a new game from Asmadi Games and Carl Chudik and Chris Seslik on Kickstarter called Consequential. That's apparently inspired by Risk Legacy. How, huh, Chris?
1: Yeah, uh and, and also speaking of guys who develop games that nobody's seen before I think carl uh Chudyke is definitely kind of in that
0: is it realm too. Is that what it is
1: I, i'm that's what I'm saying you saw how i pronounce my french so I'm not really sure how this one's pronounced i it, I don't think it's French there you but go. uh it's I also don't think I'm doing it right
0: probably um
1: but yeah no uh yeah so chris Seslik is uh is the guy who runs asmadi games so asmadi is the publisher of innovation um yep. which is one of uh carl uh Chudike's uh other games um you know one of one of the games of my bio and five he also does um Gl- glory to rome which is in my bio and five so i'm a big fan of this carl i can't pronounce your last name chadike guy
0: Chuddike, um, i would just like to throw in there sounds a lot like an alien race from the star trek universe all right anyway continue sorry
1: Right, no problem, Uh, and so no, I'm I'm totally excited about this. But you know, I'm not a big role-playing guy. Uh, I think if anyone's listened to any amount of me talking over the last three or four episodes, they probably know that I could really care less about theme when it comes to games. Mm-hmm. Um, so this game, it's kind of, you know, I, I, I'm really all about it because it sounds like an interesting concept. Um, I like the Risk Legacy aspect of it that they're kind of tying in here to it. Um, I also love just about anything that Carl, I can't pronounce your last name, Tredike does. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But anyway, it's a story-driven co-op board game. We'll huh. support uh, one to five players. It's going to take about an hour to play. And um, the... The main uh, core of the game here is that uh, the game is going to be played over sixteen weeks or sixteen episodes. Basically, each week for sixteen weeks, they're going to release a new episode online, which will be audio and I think some video, maybe just like some still video of the artwork for the game. Uh, and each episode will like introduce, um, you know, the story, the setup for that uh, that particular week. Uh, in the storyline, um, it'll it'll say you know here's where the story currently stands. Here's what you need to accomplish during this uh, week's gaming session, and then it'll tell you the components of the game that you've obviously purchased the actual physical game. Uh, the components of the physical game that you're going to need to pull together to play this particular episode. Um, so it sounds really uh, really interesting from that standpoint. I don't think anyone's really done this. Uh, voice acting in in board games before so that, that could be interesting um each episode like i said so there's going to be 16 episodes um there's going to be new ones released each week obviously i don't think you have to play in real time you can play them whenever you feel like but i guess if you want to be at the cutting edge of the consequential uh story arc you will be playing every week um over 16 weeks each episode is going to involve two regions in their little universe that they've created there um, each region will have four locations, and each location will have seven what they call page cards. So basically 56 total page cards if you do the math there. You're going to shuffle up all the page cards together and that's going to form what's called a story deck. Then you're going to use that story deck to play the game. Uh, the game, the mechanics of the game revolve around what they call the sequence board. There's basically 12 slots on the sequence board. Um, the sequence board is, some of those slots on the sequence board are going to be seated at game setup by bad things, basically obstacles in the game. Okay. You have to meet the win condition, whatever it is, and they haven't really touched on that yet um or if they did I missed it but I am assuming the wind condition may change based on each episode you know it might be different per episode um, but basically it. it sounds
0: like it would be pretty boring if it wasn't
1: right exactly so um you have to meet the wind condition before these 12 slots on the sequence board fill up uh I think they fill up only with obstacles um so you have to try to defeat these obstacles or whatever they they may be to get them off of the sequence board so you can you can bide yourself a little bit more time um and make the game last long enough for you to meet those win conditions. Um also the so here's where the risk legacy thing comes in. The game is going to take place, like I said, over 16 episodes, but those 16 episodes are going to be broken into four acts. The first act is going to be what you play with when you start the game. The other uh three acts, act two, act three, and act four, are going to be inside of the game box, packaged into little sealed containers. A la uh, the other f- uh, uh, items in Risk Legacy, and as you progress through the game, you'll open up additional packs um, to to start the other acts of the game. Those acts, the the acts that are sealed, are not going to be uh, only additional cards. It's also going to be additional components and additional rules. A lot like Risk Legacy comes with new components sure. and new rules. So. I don't know. I, again, like I said, they, they, they kind of brand this as like a board game, a role-playing board game, which really that whole genre does nothing for me whatsoever. But because of the designers, because of this whole interesting online portion of the audio video and the whole part, portion of Risk Legacy, which I love, I'm really kind of looking forward to it
0: good no i think this thing i think this sounds like a brilliant brilliant idea Um, and i'm going to start with that i think that i think that the sound of it sounds amazing i have a couple concerns i'm not going to lie um i like the idea that it can be played solo that fixes half my problem with risk legacy because hey getting a group together can sometimes be a little bit of a challenge um, so there you go. And Chris is laughing because he knows <laughs> that this is one of my issues here. So yes, I kind of dig that. Um, I, Asmati is the innovation guys, and that's great. And that game is, sure, it's got some interesting stuff going on, but it, I still think that it is one of the 10 ugliest games to be published in the last 10 years. And if they don't fix that part of it with consequential, I think they're going to lose their audience. I know uh, no,
1: this is uh, this is the, they've already got a lot of the art and stuff on Kickstarter. I think they're. Well, I'm already, at it they're, here.
0: They're already light years
1: beyond what innovation was. Which don't get me wrong, I realize doesn't take much. The the only art in uh, in innovation was basically six different icons. Yeah. Um and well then the card art for each technology card which and was many shades a black and of white.
0: brown. There's a lot of shades of brown, yes. Chris. Don't forget all the shades of brown. Yes, Those the are shades
1: of brown. Yeah. That's that's not good. Yeah, yeah. There's a reason they don't make round cars anymore. Yeah. So. Um. But yeah, yeah. You no, know, I agree there. But anyway, like I said, the, the the art and the Kickstarter. I mean, it's not like amazing by any stretch of the imagination, but already light years beyond innovation. Okay. Agreed.
0: Yeah. I can I okay. can get with that. So yeah, that's. I think this sounds excellent, and I think that you know if they're gonna if they're gonna do this whole multimedia you know new media thing with having downloadable intros for each episode. Or, yeah, I think that's, I think it's a solid idea. I'm looking forward to it. That'll be good. Days of one. I am too, yes days of wonder is releasing the shadows over camelot card game at essen that's cool a 20 minute yeah. card game version of the original big board game uh the original designers bruno cathala and sergey which we just talked about this game last week actually are on board for this one designed it one to seven players 20 minute version of shadows over camelot how can you go wrong
1: exactly i agree i think uh this will be great. Shadows uh, shadows is not a long game by any stretch, but I think if you can play a game that keeps some of the similar feel and plays in 20 minutes, even better.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it'll be a test to find out whether it's able to keep that feel, whether you can have the same tension in a 20-minute playtime that you get in that other game or not, or whether the, you know, I mean, you have to be able to build tension in order for a game with a trader aspect to matter. And if you, you know, if 20 minutes might not be long enough, I don't know. But yep. we'll see. I'm looking forward to it. Yes. All right. Griffin Games is kick-starting I'm the Boss, the classic from Sid Saxon. There's a story behind this one. Hey, Chris?
1: Well, now, they're they kick-starting the I'm the Boss card game. Yeah. Oh, the card game. Um, so, yeah, Sorry. it's really interesting. I mean, Griffin... Right. Yeah, Griffin Games has, uh, has the rights to publish all Sid Saxon stuff, and they basically got access to his journals and and rules and prototypes. Um, Sid Saxon, for those of you that don't know, is is no longer with us. Um, But they were able to get access to a lot of his old game design stuff. And they kept coming across this game that he always referred to as piece of the action. And the more they delved into it, they realized that it's a card game he developed a long time ago and couldn't get it sold to anywhere. So he refined it and made it better. And eventually piece of the action card game turned into i'm the boss board game which everybody knows okay not everybody but a lot of people know that i'm the boss board game i'm a big fan of that game yeah, it, me too it's a fun fun silly little game not super serious it's not bad at all um so basically he has this piece of the action card game, couldn't sell it, made it better, turned it into I'm the Boss board game. Now Griffin Games is going back and doing it the opposite direction. They are taking his notes from piece of the action card game and turning it into basically a card game version of I'm the Boss board game. Uh they say that about 80% of the design uh is Sid Saxon's um and about 20% of it is their dev team. So it sounds like they left in, you know, a good hunk of the stuff that that Sid had uh, put in there originally, maybe refined it, updated it a little bit. I mean, this game was probably developed you know 40 years ago, so sure. they probably made it a little bit, a little bit better, a little, little uh, more modern. And uh, it, it sounds interesting. They've got gonna, a good little Kickstarter video out there. that kind of explains how it works. It looks, it looks fun.
0: I'm not going to lie, I'm super psyched about this one. I think that Sid Saxon is. Pretty much the granddaddy of our hobby. I mean, I don't care what anybody says about Dr. Reiner Knizzi or Klaus Teuber or any other Alan Moon, or any of those guys. I think that Saxon did it first, and he did it more elegantly than a lot of these guys did. And I think standing on the shoulders of giants is is the is the, I my humble opinion how I look at Sid Saxon. You know, he's the guy that gave the foundation that everybody else was able to build off of to make this hobby awesome. So anytime that we can take a legacy as amazing as his and make it a little bit bigger and, and take something from the archives, as long as it is more exciting, as long as this is not I'm the boss card game is to the rest of his collection as the Silmarillion is to the rest of the Lord of the Rings, will be fine. Because that might be <laughs> the most boring read ever. So as long as it isn't that, right? I think we'll get along just fine. So no, I'm super psyched about this. This is going to be cool. Yes. Red Raven Games and Ryan Laukat are kick-starting a game called City of Iron, a two to four player civilization-building game. It looks to take about ninety minutes to knock a game out. Um, pretty straightforward, competing to build the most powerful nation, but it's got a steampunk theme to it, which is kind of fun. Yeah. Um, some card drafting mechanics and a whole bunch of different paths of victory, huh, Chris?
1: It, it sounds like it. You know, everyone can say, oh yeah, this game has a ton of paths to victory, and then you play it five times and you realize that, no, there's one path to victory, and if you don't do it, you're done. Sure. Um, so, But it, it, does, it definitely sounds interesting. I, I like Civ building games, even though there's really only one that I play and really enjoy, which is Through the Ages. Um, I, I like the concept, I guess I should say, of civilization building games. I don't think um, it's been done that well uh, very often. Um, so anytime I have a, a chance to try another civ building game that, hey, might get it right, actually, I'm looking forward to it. I don't know if it's really a civ building game. You're building a nation, you know, whatever. I don't think you're going through the annals of time starting in the bronze Sure. Age and and going to the information age or anything like that, but um, I think there's definitely some technical. Technology upgrades and stuff going on there. I don't know a ton about this game right now. Um, all I know is the artwork is gorgeous. Uh, the steampunk theme is kind of interesting for me. Um, and the the components, the 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 artwork, like I said, but but not just the the art of the characters, but the art of the board and whatever. All that looks really nice. The only downside of this is eh, nothing's going to happen until at least June of two thousand three. So that's kind 13th. of a ways. Yeah, 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 and like I like yes, twenty thirteen. Yeah, not two thousand three. That would be awesome if they did that.
0: <laughs>
1: Kickstarting kick a time machine. There you go. Um, yeah, and. No, no, so it's at least like 9 months out which is a long time away for, for people to get invested in Kickstarter I think but uh we'll see what happens.
0: You know, and 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 Chris and I have had discussions off off mic about my views on Kickstarter and I'm a little bit of the I know he's our he's our local curmudgeon on the show but when it comes to Kickstarter I'm the guy that's a little bit suspicious of things and I think that's because It seems like Kickstarter sort of removes the boundary between development and publishing. It lets anybody with any idea take a game and start money gathering to publish it, and it doesn't have that barrier that the game industry has always had anymore, which is this game has to be played and played and played and played before it's going to go to press because otherwise no company is going to put money behind it. Well, now you don't have to do that anymore. You can just throw a Kickstarter up there, and Bing, bang, boom, you got a game on the way. And I, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I'm not saying that everything that comes out of Kickstarter is terrible. D Day Dice is a solid game. I know there's a lot of games that have gone through Kickstarter that are fine, but with a nine month lead, that makes me wonder how much of the game is actually done. You know, so now I'm wondering. Well, okay, they're already raising money for a game that they're not planning on shipping for a year. What are they? What do they need the money for now? Nothing takes it doesn't take ten months to get a game to print, and then on a boat over from China. So that mean that tells me this game isn't done, and that worries me. You know, they're asking right. for money before the game is actually ready for publication. I don't know. I think this is maybe my get off my lawn moment that I'm going to have for the night. But
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, I I can see what you're, where you're coming from on the Kickstarter thing. I mean, it definitely favors someone who can put together a really slick promo. Yeah. Um, as opposed to a really like game uh, you know there, there there are less probably barriers to entry but you know on the other hand is if you you know kickstart this project and you raise twenty thousand dollars for your game and you get you know a thousand other people involved in this in this kickstart and then you ship the game to them and it sucks yeah that'll be the last one you're ever doing. Um, True. Not, not only that, but I think a lot of these Kickstarter games have a lot of playtesting and talk that's being that's going on on Board Game Geek and stuff like that. Like City of Iron, there's reviews, you know, prototype reviews for City of Iron on Board Game Geek and stuff like that. So I think if you don't have the support of the board game community, because we are such a small community, you aren't going to have a successful Kickstarter. Okay. Um, and and uh, in order to get that support of the community, you need to have some kind of results before you do the kickstart sure now that being said you can you could kickstart something that you know just appeals to the masses like i don't know the eighty-five millionth zombie game that all the zombie fans are going to jump on (laughs) you know they they may not be you know niche board gamers and therefore you don't have to you know get the uh, niche board game community involved in it um, you just have to get the zombie lover community involved in it. Sure, There's definitely stuff like that that might be happening. But I think when it comes to games like this that at least sound respectable and have some backup from, you know, some community guys on BoardGameGeek, oh, sure. I think it it has some promise, but I definitely understand what you're saying.
0: Yeah, and, and don't get me wrong. I'm not knocking City of Iron. I don't know anything about the game. I'm not one of the playtesters. I don't know anything about it. I think this is just sort of the culmination of my frustration with the Kickstarter movement is that I think that there's a lot of games that come through the Kickstarter pipe that look amazing, and then once you've actually got the game in front of you, it's not so hot. I mean, Miskatonic School for Girls leaps to mind here. Here's one where they raised a ton of money because this is a beautiful-looking game. It sounds like it should be amazing, and once it hits the table in front of you, meh. And yeah. Nothing Yeah, I
1: have, I have played two, maybe three Kickstarters. I, I don't know if Manhattan Project was, was Kickstarted for Minion Games. I
0: think it was, yes.
1: Okay, so then I've played three uh, Manhattan Project, Seven Sisters, and uh, Miskatonic School for Girls. And the only one that I find even mildly enjoyable is Seven Sisters. And even that one, I'm not going to be playing all the time. Right, right. So I, I agree.
0: Yeah, I think you can, I think you can get some really, there's st- amazing stuff that's coming out of there. You know, D-Day Dice is very, very highly regarded. Um, I'm actually hoping to get that to the table in the next week or two, well, news to come. Um, I actually have a buddy now that owns the, that got his Kickstarter copy and has been showing it off. So I'm hoping to kidnap him and beat him up and take his game or something, or at least make him play it with me, one or the other. So we'll see. We'll see. All right. Old guy right. rant over. Right. Asmodee is starting a children's line of games. Do we care? I guess.
1: Here's the deal. Asmodee is a really, really successful publishing company, especially recently. I mean, they've got Eclipse, they've got Seven Wonders, they've got uh, whatever, a trillion other games, Ghost Stories and whatever. They make super beautiful games. Their artwork is always amazing. Their components are always super good. And me being a father and knowing that a game company, a publisher that is this competent, is getting into kids games, I'm actually kind of excited for it.
0: All right, that's cool. I guess I can, I can, I can, I can go along with that.
1: You know, uh, I actually saw someone the other day. I don't remember if it was on the Geek or what, but they actually were comparing Asmo Day to Days of Wonder from like five years ago. Yeah, which I, I think is probably fairly apt. I mean, no. they make amazing stuff.
0: Yes, they do, and I think that Days of Wonder. I feel I feel like has their reputation for their high quality games as far as the component quality and art goes, but I think the actual quality of the games they're publishing has slipped a little bit in the last few years. Yep. Whereas asthma day has been constantly growing and getting stronger and stronger and stronger. I can't think of the last time I played an asthma day game that I didn't like. So I think they, they speaking of a development process that seems to work. I think this this is this is one of those companies that it feels like he's doing it right. So yeah, all right, I can get behind that. Sticky Sticks is a weird name for a game. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> all right. So GenCon happened. Yeah, that was the thing, and we still didn't go. I know we 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 grumbled about that a little bit last week, but there were a right. few games that were released there or right around there that have a little bit of hotness, and we're going to kind of touch on a couple of them here that we've been hearing about. Um The first one that Chris had on our list is Seasons. This is a, a dice and card game, yeah, where the, you use the different yep. dice to decide what your actions are going to be, and the dice are each different depending on which season you're currently in, and there's a pacing aspect to it. It looks yeah. kind of cool.
1: yeah. It, it looks very interesting. I guess what's tr- what's attracting me to it is the fact that, again, okay, I'm a huge fan of innovation. Mm-hmm. It seems, at least from all the stuff I've read on it, it seems to have a lot of innovation feel to it. Uh, not only, uh, you know, card combos... Um, you know, there's a, there's a drafting aspect to it, which I realize Innovation doesn't have, but the card combos sound like they can get kind of crazy and awesome, and when you add drafting to card combos, so you can, like, hate draft stuff away from people or give them stuff uh, that they're going to be forced to play that's going to be awesome for you, or maybe not forced to play, but they might play it that's going to be awesome for some combo you're setting up. You know, I guess what I'm saying is you can draft cards, but and set up combos that you aren't necessarily drafting, you right. know, you're, you're giving cards to the other guy that he's going to draft and sure. setting up combos for you unknowingly, which is kind of fun. Um, but but the one thing that struck me as a hello, a comparison to innovation, uh, it sounds like two players where this game is at and four player is chaotic and nasty and disgusting and you don't really want to play it. Okay. Um, which which is my feeling on innovation. It sounds yeah. like three players is, is not too bad. Um, but two players is awesome, at least from, from some of the people that I, I know and respect that have reviewed the game. Sure. So I'm looking forward to it. That sounds and, like a good and, one. And it plays quick like Innovation 2. There you go. And the the art looks, you know, super sexy. The components look super good. I'm looking
0: forward to it. Which, co- which company is that one? Do you know?
1: Uh, no, I don't know off the top of my head, actually.
0: Yeah, me neither.
1: Hmm. I'm sure someone will correct us promptly.
0: If only there were some worldwide web of information that we could look something up on.
1: If only there were that. Yeah, so while you do that, how about I move on to our next item here. So Netrunner, uh, obviously, is being re-released by Fantasy Flight Games. They're tagging on the uh, the Android theme, the Android universe that Fantasy Flight owns to the old Richard Garfield game, Netrunner, which used to be a collectible card game um, along the lines of Magic the Gathering. Mm-hmm. Um, but now is actually going to be a living card game, which I guess is supposed to mean you don't have to you know spend a million dollars and whoever spends the most money wins. Um, you know the uh, cards are released in packed and in sets and it's it's kind of more of like a I almost look at Dominion as like a living card game almost. You know, they're they're releasing sets and you buy them in sets. You aren't just buying individual awesome cards because they're awesome. You're buying sets of cards. Um, So uh, everyone's super pumped about Netrunner. I never played the original. I obviously haven't played the new one because I didn't get to Gen Con and I'm not that cool. But I'm really looking forward to trying this because everyone's hyping it up. And even before that just uh, reading up on the game looks super interesting. So
0: I'm a big fan of um, asymmetrical design in general. Anytime a game yep. is designed so that way the two sides play differently or multiple sides play differently. That's why Chaos in the Old World still has a spot on my shelf because I love that just love the idea that each player is doing his own kind of groovy thing, and Netrunner is, the, is one of the quintessential versions of that. The two sides play completely different each other. By the way, yep. I just want to poke fun at ourselves and realize that we should feel extra dumb because Seasons is being released by Asmodee, who we just <laughs> spent the last five minutes talking about. So there you go. So, well, yep. you know, yeah,
1: I, I was going to I was gonna say Asmodee, but I guess I, I wanted to sound like I didn't know as opposed to sounding like I'm stupid, so well, I didn't say it.
0: Now we can just have a large slice of dumbass with a side of derp on it for ourselves, but there you go. I love derp. I thought you might. You have a picture to prove it. <laughs> Guys. You know, if you've ever, if you've been keeping up on any sort of board gaming news in our niche, Little Hobby, for the last year, you know that there was a big kerfuffle over Merchant of Venus. Stronghold Games thought they were publishing it. Fantasy Flight thought they were publishing it. About six months ago, and maybe not even six months, they announced, the two companies announced that they had come to an amicable solution to the problem. Stephen Bonacore from Stronghold Games consulted with Fantasy Flight, and Fantasy Flight was going to do the production. and. They released it. It's out. It's here. It's at Gen Con, or it was at Gen Con. Um, a couple people whose opinions that I trust a lot have gotten to play it and say that it, it maintains the feel of the original Avalon Hill classic. Um, but here's the best part, and this is what I think is a true moment of brilliance. And I know that anybody that's been paying attention is probably already knows this, but I think it bears mentioning over and over and over again because, in my opinion, this is what you should do if you want to reboot a reprint. And what I mean by that is, instead of just reprinting it faithfully, if you want to rewrite the game, this is how you do it, folks. The game has two games inside. The original Merchant of Venus, just like the Avalon Hill version, with just a couple tweaks to accommodate the new components that they included. And then the Fantasy Flight revamp of Merchant of Venus. Both games are in that same box. So you you pop 80 bucks for the game and you have the old school version that you can still play if you're one of those get off my lawn gamers. And you can play the Fantasy Flight New Hotness if you want to. And they're both right there in the box. Brilliant move. Good good on you, Stephen Bonacore and Chris Peterson. This is what you're supposed to do. And I'm glad to see that the game companies can every once in a while play nicely with each other instead of just getting into a pissing match about something stupid like who's going to print this game. Because, you know, our hobby isn't big enough to be having companies go toe-to-toe like that. It's just it's not necessary. Yeah. So good on you i'm glad it happened i'm really looking forward to getting a copy of this one merchant of venus i am too yeah this
1: this game was long long out of print by the time i got into this hobby and after i got into this hobby people i started uh you know respecting uh, their opinions on board games and whatnot as i do research on games i think i would enjoy or want to play merchant of venus keeps coming up and i can never play because i know nobody that has a copy yeah, now I will know lots of people, and heck, even one of them that have a copy may be this guy right here.
0: Yeah, I, I actually have two friends that own copies of the original Avalon Hill version. One of them lives about two hours away from me, even further away than you do, and the other one's in Ohio. So there you go. Yeah, I know people, I just can't get by them. So it's it's just a brilliant it's a brilliant old game, and I'm glad to see that that Fantasy Flight and Stronghold were able to hug it out and figure this thing out because this is the way that it should have gone. So good for you. Right on. Speaking of reprints, Fortress America got redone is redid is out is there. Um, this is another one of those out of print classics from the game master series. The Axis and allies series is the one that everybody thinks of quest of the empire was in here. Um, Samurai Swords, Shogun. Swords, Shogun, Akusa, whatever you want to call it this week. That game was in that same series. And Fortress America has now been redone. Super geeked about this one. This is another wonderful asymmetrical game. Uh, Have you ever had a chance to play Fortress America, Chris?
1: I have not. No, I have seen it played multiple times, but I have not played it.
0: We're going to fix that. I think you'll dig it. It's pretty slick. Basically, the idea is that the whole world is pissed off at America, and here they come. And America gets to defend its borders from three on a, on a three front war while the entire rest of the world tries to beat down their doors. It's, um, it's slightly overly red, white and blue. Like there's a couple of times when you're, you're playing the game and you're like, wow, yep, yep, this is an American game. Absolutely. They definitely know which side they're rooting
1: for. (laughs) Right.
0: But it's, but it's solid. It's, it's just, it's a solid game. It's lots of fun. You can't take it too terrible seriously, but at the end of the day, it's just a good time. So right, Right, I'm cool. thinking about that one. But anytime you can get a good old game back into the hands of more new gamers, I call it a win. So there you
1: yeah, go. Yeah. Do you, now, do you know if they're doing a Merchant of Venus kind of release with this, where they're going to have the original rules and the updated rules?
0: I don't think it's, they've changed the game enough to bother. I think Merchant of Venus you know. got an overhaul because what happened with Merchant of Venus is that Fantasy Flight... See, the whole story behind that one's really simple. Fantasy Flight got the, got the license from Avalon Hill Hasbro and stronghold got the license from richard hamblin the actual designer so both parties thought that they had the rights to the game well stronghold their whole bit was just reprinting games for a while right i mean that's what they were doing yep and fantasy play is all about taking old ip and jazzing it up and making it new and so what happened is that both of these companies were developing this game independently of one another and when this whole kerpluffle happened at essen they looked at each other and said, oh crap, now what do we do? And so what they did is they just took all of the IP that they had both been working on and slammed it into the box. So I think that until a game gets that sort of a, of a two brains kind of process going on, you're not going to see another Merchant of Venus, which is too bad. Because I think that that's, you know, it's unfortunate that I don't think game companies are going to keep doing that. I hope they do. But I don't, I don't think Fortress America changed enough to bother. So I don't know. Okay. Well, All right, right I, on. I haven't seen the reprint yet either so I just I've only played the original game master version and that was that was a good time so okay cool well, this game has been if there has ever been a game that has been its own hype machine for a long long time it's been this one Mage Wars is finally being released <laughs> it's been they have been promoting this game and I'm not exaggerating when I say this since origins of last year. So they started their hype machine in June of 2011 and just released this sucker. This is Arcane Wonders. This is their launch title. Um, For lack of a better term, it's sort of like a deck builder meets Summoner Wars, except instead of shuffling your deck, you've got everything sort of in a big binder. So you're sort of playing your magic. It's not a binder. It's a spell book. Sure, it's a bind, whatever. <laughs> anyway, it looks cool. Um, when I was at the Dice Tower Convention in Kissimmee, Florida, a couple months ago, um, they were demoing the snot out of it at about four tables. I didn't actually get it get to sit down at one of the demos, but I watched some of the games being played. And I got to tell you, I, I don't think I've ever seen demo tables with this passionate of people. I mean, I had people... That we're playing a demo and then getting up and moving to another demo player to play another, you know, faction or whatever and play sure. against the different players, just super addictive, super, you know, got good good strategy to it, a la Summoner Wars, but got the deck building aspect a la Magic. I think that this is going to be a winner. I'm, I think that we're going to be talking about this one for a while.
1: Yeah, I I, I want to check it out for sure. Um, just from what I know about the game, and yeah, I I don't I haven't read the rule book or anything, but it just. I'm interested to see how it works where you can pick exactly every single card that's going to be in your deck. And not only that, but you can actually pick when and how you play the cards. You know, I guess you're not shuffling, you're not shuffling up and making this random deck of cards and drawing off the top. You're just got this book of all the cards you've pre designated and you pick them out in whatever order you want. So you can always make your amazing combos happen. And I don't know, it just seems a little strange, but I assume there's mechanics in the game that, you know, keep that from being, super powerful or whatever maybe everybody's super powerful and that's just the awesome part of the game i don't know
0: i don't know but i'm super psyched about it so i can't i can't wait to get that one in my grubby little hands
1: yes i agree
0: all right game versus game time it's time for the showdown between the resistance and werewolf werewolf has been published by oh, i don't know 412 different companies over over the years i don't even want to try and guess who i think the what i consider the definitive version i guess would be the bezier games one that ted Alspach did ultimate werewolf um and that's i mean that's within the last five years but this is for all intents and purposes a, a public domain game but yeah uh, dimitri davidoff and andrew plotkin is that is that who you were able to find as, as taking credit for this sucker? That's what I found, yes. Right, there you go. And The Resistance is a much newer, I, I guess they would probably call it a refinement to the game, uh, published by Indie Borden Cards in 2009. Don Eskridge is the brainchild behind that one. Both of these games sometimes get dubbed party games. I, that doesn't feel right to me. Cause I don't know. In my mind, a party game is categories and stuff that you play with your grandma. And right. with the majors, one of those? Yeah. Neither one of these are those kind of games, but they're definitely social games where you're, you know, playing around a group and trying to puzzle out who's who. And it's similar to the, um, to the game that we talked about at the top of the show at Castle of the Devil, I guess, huh? Yeah. Same sort of idea here. So I guess let's start with, uh, let's start with the Resistance. Let's, let's work our way backwards this time. Last time we did logically. Yeah. So in the Resistance, the idea is that up to, what is it, up to 10 players, right? I think so, yes. I think so. Have two different uh, possible allegiances. You're either with the Resistance, the quote unquote good guys, or you're with the Empire, which are the bad guys, I believe, or something.
1: Exactly, like that. yes. It's basically Rebel versus Empire.
0: Sure. And the idea is that you're trying to accomplish these missions as the Resistance. And the mechanics are real simple. You pick who, how many, pl- the game will tell you how many people have to go on any given mission. Uh, whoever the mission leader is chooses the team from the players around the table, then they all put a card in. If they all put the mission succeeds card, then the mission succeeded. Woohoo! If anybody put in a mission fails card, the mission fails and then you get to deduce from there. Okay, one of these guys is is one of the bad guys. Moving on. Yep. And rinse and repeat until you've either until you've done 5 missions and if you have 3 of them succeed, then the good guys win. If 3 of them fail, the bad guys win, right? Exactly, yep. Is there anything more to it than that that I'm not catching?
1: No, I don't think so. That's about it. Uh, they, they do, you know, have a have a little element there where you um you have there's there's larger and larger parties that keep going out. Um or, you okay. know, the, the I guess the party size changes. So sometimes there's two or sometimes there's three, four and then it goes back to three and whatever. So you're working with different groups of people. But yeah, no, you laid it out perfectly. That's exactly how it goes. And it goes quick, right? Super yeah. quick.
0: Yeah, I think you could knock out a game of the resistance even with lots of BSing in under an hour. I mean, it's...
1: Oh, yeah. Well, no way under an hour. Well, yeah. I'm saying
0: with lots of BSing. I'm saying, you know, even if you've got a bunch of talkers around the table that really want to ponder for a while, I still think that there's no way this game goes longer than an hour.
1: I mean, yeah, I'm not sure I've ever played a game that's taking longer than 20 minutes.
0: Yeah, all right. All right, we'll compromise. Half an hour. There you go. It's okay, half
1: yeah, half an hour. It's, um, it's, I, I really dig the Resistance. I think it's, I think it's a good one. Now, yeah.
0: hold your votes, Chris. We have to talk about the other one, too, Werewolf.
1: I haven't voted on anything yet. Now,
0: huh? Yeah. yeah, there you go. Now, werewolf, werewolf, um, are actually got its, um, start at least its popular start at Duke University, which I think is interesting. Um, and this game has existed in a whole bunch of different formats. Some people call it Mafia. It's basically the same game. The idea is that amongst all the players, a few people are the werewolves or Mafia or what have you, and they are trying to slowly but surely bump off the other characters. So they can control the town. Meanwhile, the other characters are trying to figure out who the werewolves are, either by reading body language and whatnot, or some of the characters will have special abilities. The most the obvious one is the seer. The seer can actually look and and peek at somebody's alignment card without them knowing. So the game. I don't know. It just, it, it plays differently than the resistance in that instead of the resistance is real straightforward and everybody just throws a card in. In werewolf, you actually have to close your eyes and have these night and day phases so people pick things, um, you know, by pointing and hand gestures and whatnot. And so part of the game, there's a meta aspect to it as you're listening to see if you can hear people moving next to you and stuff like that. There's a little bit more stuff going on. Um, werewolf has four and a half kabillion, that's a scientific term, variations that can be played of it. I mean, there, there, people have been writing different powers for the different roles for 25 years now. So there are a million different ways to play this game, which is why it's been reprinted a million different ways by a million different companies. So Werewolf, you know, as a structure is a game, but then which version of Werewolf you're playing really depends on the group that you're sitting with. Just because it can come in, it comes in so many different flavors. So
1: right. I mean the basic flow of the game is is identical. It's just that they add additional roles and abilities and whatever. Is that correct or not?
0: Usually, um, every once in a while you'll you'll come across a group that plays something differently than you've ever played it before. Sure. how you how you when the good guys are trying to get rid of somebody they think is a werewolf, they vote to decide whether the person is lynched or not. Um, well, how that vote is conducted can vary wildly from group to group. Some some groups use voting cards. Some people use thumb up and thumb down. Some people have you vote with your eyes closed and then open them. Some people have, you know, this, You know, there's lots of different ways to do it. And and each of those ways, even though it seems like the basic structure of the game is still the same, changes the game fundamentally in some way that okay. it can really throw you as if this the first time playing with a new group. And I, and i bring that part up specifically because when i went to the dice tower convention i played a lot of werewolf they had they had late night werewolf sessions going every night and i played in i played every night for at least a couple hours cuz i have always been a fan of the game and i was really off my game for the first couple games because i was not used to the conventions that they were using and so it took me a while to kind of adjust to oh that's how these guys play okay so think of right. it sort of like the house rules of monopoly that you have the
1: free parking. What do you do with free parking?
0: Yeah, exactly. It's the free parking problem. Exactly.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: There you go. So, so resistance is a half an hour game. You can play it around a table. No special prep required. The werewolf requires a moderator. Resistance doesn't. Yep. Um, the resistance has a straightforward win condition that everybody can figure out and you can just jump right in. Whereas the werewolf um, a werewolf game the win condition can be a little bit variable based on how crazy the roles are that people include in the game and werewolf is long well it can be long
1: it yeah it can be very long and i think probably um one of the things i don't like about werewolf and i, I mean you you said it in in when you're describing how werewolf is played is i mean you you're you're listening to see if someone next to you makes a sound Mm -hmm. or you're listening to see if they have you know weird body language it's just like i don't know i i guess that might come into play in the resistance initially during the setup of the game when everyone has to close their eyes and and the, the the bad guys can can find out who each other are sure but um you know every round of of werewolf you're doing this you're closing your eyes and you're you know, your people have to open their eyes and and oh, did oh, did I hear his eyelids open? Mm, maybe he's a werewolf. I don't know. It's just the the subtlety there is something I am just not interested in it at all. Like you know, his his ear twitches when he's telling a lie. I don't see, I don't need to know that about anybody I go to a game convention with.
0: And see, here's the funny thing about it. I I would. I would come at it from the opposite side and say that I think the resistance loses something because it doesn't have that stuff. Because the resistance is just this very mechanical exercise. It doesn't have the feel to it that werewolf has. When you're playing a game werewolf with a, with a group that is really into the game, the tension you can cut it with a chainsaw. I mean, it's it's, you know, it's palpable how tense the game gets. I mean, I played a game I played a game at the Dice Tower convention where there was this poor guy, Mario. Hey, Mario, if you're listening, love you, buddy. And he, I played him like a finely tuned fiddle that entire game. I was one of the bad guys. He was one of the good guys. And I had him so convinced that I was totally on his team. And and I mean, all of the other werewolves wanted to bump him off a long time before that. And I'm like, no, 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 you got to leave this guy alive leave him alive he is our best weapon and the, and it and when the game ended and he found out that i was one of the bad guys he was heartbroken and i'm not saying that
1: oh bill
0: he was heartbroken the man had the saddest most confused look i have ever seen on anybody's face in my life and i almost felt awful Almost. Except for I was too busy giggling because I was like, ha ha ha, look what we did to this poor sap.
1: (laughs) Oh, Mario, I'm so sorry. You
0: don't get that feeling from a game of the Resistance is what I'm saying. You don't, you don't, I I don't feel like you do. I've played Resistance maybe, I don't know, a half dozen times. And I just, you don't get that same satisfaction at the end of a game.
1: Yeah, I, I, I can I can definitely see that. I've only played Werewolf a couple of times. I've played the Resistance probably three or four times, um, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I just the, it, the Werewolf to me it takes too long the first what four or five rounds. You have no idea who anybody is or what the hell is going on unless you are truly one of those gifted people who can hear hear people's eyelids opening. Uh, <laughs> You have zero information to go on. I don't know the resistance. It's a it's a deduction game. We were talking about deduction games earlier. This is a deduction game. You're never gonna you're never gonna know all of the information from each 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 data set that you you get, but you can slowly start to work out. Okay, this guy. You know this guy's been involved every time a mission's failed or whatever, mm-hmm. and it, it just plays super quick. Like you said, it, it's the best of five, so whoever you know sure. succeeds three times wins. It's just it's super quick, it's straightforward, and because of that, I know people play you know these marathon sessions of Werewolf late night at conventions. We do it at the gaming hoopla. Um, you know, you play for four or five hours, and in that time, I don't know what do you play five or six games? Um, you werewolf? play, re- I, yeah, three. Right. Okay, so there. There you go. And Resistance, you play that for four or five hours. You've got in like 195,000 games.
0: Yep. But you know, here's 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 my retort to that, Chris. How many Mario stories do you have from games of Resistance? How many? I don't are, have
1: any, but see, I have plenty right. of Mario stories from the 80s when I used to play the NES. So I'm good <laughs> on Mario stories.
0: No, but I guess I, th- I guess where I'm going with this is that Werewolf creates these epic stories that you can tell. Yeah, down the road, like, oh my God, we played this game and it was amazing. As a matter of fact, I'll, I'll 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 toot my own horn a little bit here at the Dice Tower convention. By the time the convention was over, I didn't live through day two on any game that I played because if I was a bad guy and I didn't die on night one, the good guys assumed I was a bad guy and killed me. If I was a good guy, the bad guys killed me on night one because I was good at finding them. So I spent a lot of the games just watching because (laughs) I got a rep for being really good at the game. And so I got greased on a regular basis. And this actually brings up my one problem with Werewolf.
1: Player elimination.
0: Yep, player elimination. When you play a game that takes two, two and a half hours and somebody gets bumped out of the game at minute 13 and then they get to spend two hours watching – That is not going to be for everybody. Now, it doesn't bother me. I don't mind watching a game of werewolf because I enjoy that moment of revelation when you get to see who the jerks are that just killed you, you know? Right. And you get to watch, you know, your buddies twist in the wind as they're trying desperately to lie their way out of the out of the snarl that they're in and you're inter- enjoying the interaction of the different roles. I get that. A lot of people don't. And I know that there's a lot of people that can bi- get super frustrated with it. So that's my, that would be my biggest knock against werewolf, but yeah, I don't know. All right, Chris. So here we go. It's our 30 second challenge. As always, Hang on, I, I got to
1: bring up my timer now so I, I can oh, hit you're my
0: post time. You don't trust me.
1: No, no, no. no. I'm going to time myself just so I know.
0: There you go. All right. so all Here right.
1: it is. Yes, I'm, I'm ready. I'm
0: All right. Here we are. Seconds begins now.
1: All right. So Werewolf, right? Okay. Just in the last five-minute, ten-minute discussion we've had about this game, we've compared it to Monopoly twice. One, the free parking space issue. Who plays with what rules? Dumb. Number two, player elimination. Stupid. Dumb. The game takes too long. There's player elimination. There's nothing to go on. It's ridiculous resistance rocks deduction is awesome and it's great and wonderful and go
0: <laughs> nice well done sir. Although I think that the two monopoly comparisons may be an unfair dig on it. that could just me me being dumb but hey what do I know? So not much. <laughs> all right. all right and my 30 seconds will begin now. You know what? This is a tough one for me because I kind of enjoy both of them for different reasons. I think the Resistance is mechanically better than Werewolf. I'm not going to lie. From a pure game design standpoint, Resistance is a better game. But Resistance doesn't give you that epic tension feel that Werewolf does. You don't have fun stories to tell about the Resistance games. Why? Because they're too short. They're they're forgettable. You can play six games of resistance, and who cares? I won three of them. Doesn't matter. I'm going with werewolf. More customizable, better stories.
1: Nice. All right, you hit your post and everything. That was beautiful. And um, I don't agree.
0: There you go. Well, you're allowed to not agree because you're good at being wrong.
1: I I am very good at being wrong. That's very true. Right. Just ask my wife. <laughs>
0: All right, Chris. Let's debut our one and done segment, buddy. Let's let's start pissing off gamers all around our tens of listeners. Let's see. Yes. Let's see how all
1: many all he, around Sheboygan hey. County.
0: So your one and done is Arkham Horror, huh?
1: My one and done is Arkham Horror. Yes, uh, Arkham Horror was a, what a 2005 release from Fantasy Flight Games. Yep. Um, I haven't played this game in a long time, well, because it's a one-and-done. Okay, So I played it, and then now I'm done. Uh, but when I did play it, was about three years ago. I wasn't doing the podcast back then, so now I'm talking about it. All right. You go. So, okay, first of all, let me, just, let me talk about the things I like, okay? Because okay. there are a couple things I like. I'm a big Lovecraft fan, okay? H.P. Lovecraft is the man. A friend uh, back in, like, eighth grade borrowed me a copy of The Dunwich Horror and others, I read it. It was amazing. All the short stories in the vault is one of my favorites. Yep. Great. Love Lovecraft. Awesome. Okay. okay. What I don't like about Lovecraft is the fact everyone is raping his intellectual property. Okay. Yes. I'm done with Cthulhu. Like <laughs> you are, like you are done with zombies. I'm done with Cthulhu. Okay. Cthulhu is just like zombies except with more tentacles and silent H's. It's and re- better. ridiculous. And okay. Better. Well, okay, fine, whatever. I'm done with all the Cthulhu crap. The Elder Sign, the Arkham
0: Horror, the blah, blah, blah. Don't care. There's Cthulhu Flux now, did you know?
1: Of course there's Cthulhu Flux. I'm sure there's Cthulhu Munchkin, and there's probably Cthulhu Ticket to Ride, and there's probably (laughs) Cthulhuopoly. I don't give a crap. It's
0: garbage. I would play play Cthulhu Ticket to Ride. All right, I'm sorry, continue. (laughs) I would play that.
1: Okay, I might play that as well. All right, fine. Okay, what else do I like about the game? Okay, Fantasy Flight, right? Fantasy Flight makes gorgeous games. There's no two ways about it. Their games are beautiful. Their components are beautiful. The artwork is beautiful. The component quality is like extremely high. The when I bought Kingsburg, which is a Fantasy Flight title, is seriously the first time I opened a. a game a box a game a brand new game Mm -hmm. and saw that the board was shrink-wrapped like who shrink-wraps their boards Uh, maybe other companies do i don't know fantasy Flight's the only uh publishing company i've ever seen in my collection that shrink-wraps a board well they don't shrink them anymore now
0: they stick them in baggies it's even worse Wow, yeah,
1: that's see, that's just high quality right there. Okay, so Fantasy Flight makes good stuff. Yes. They've got a staff of, of artists. Obviously, they have artists on staff that do this artwork. It's amazing. Yep,
0: um,
1: the component quality again, super high. Okay, yep. but again, Fine. the the flip side of this is it's a Fantasy Flight game. What does that mean? Okay, it means you need about fourteen football fields to lay the game out. <laughs> Okay. It means you need about 83 closets to fit all of the components, all of the expansions. If you're super into this game, uh, you were a Descent First Edition guy, right? Yeah. yeah. How much room did that take up? Probably uh, way more room. Yeah. Way more room than Arkham Horror and all of its expansions does. But still, okay. uh, If you get really into a fantasy flight game, you need to buy a new house. (laughs) <laughs> it's 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 not cool all right so they make these wonderful beautiful games and you you pay good money for them but then you got to pay good money for a new house it's it's not cool
0: 17 expansions dear listener there have been 17 expansions including promotion cards
1: for arkham Horror.
0: yes yeah Seventeen. read, read
1: yeah in a lot of them most of them are not just expansion cards most of them are expansions you need to set up another table for okay I've got the one table where I put the game board now I've got this card table where I put this expansion and I've got this chair over here where I put this other expansion and then now I have created a cabling system so the players can <laughs> hang from the ceilings and operate the cute components on the tables ridiculous
0: <laughs> okay for the record if anybody set up a game room that had a cabling system so that they can throw me on a flying rig to play. I would play anything. Seriously, right. I will play That's four simultaneously games of Monopoly if you put me on a flying rig so I can float around the tables. So I think that would be awesome. But, yeah, no, I get what you're saying. It is it is, it is a gigantic game. Yes. Gi- gigantic, is. especially with all the expansions, which I have never played. Now. I'm going to, full disclosure, I own Arkham Horror and one of the expansions that's sitting in my closet. It's always going to have a spot in my closet. So Chris and I are going to begin arguing vehemently here in the next minute or so because I think the game is fine. I just think you can't expect it to be something it's not. But, you know, here's here's the funny thing, Chris. I think of all of the games that I've ever played that are Fantasy Flight titles, I think that this is one of the ugliest. And I'll just, I'll just come right out and say that. I think this game is not pretty. I think the board is ugly. It's themeless, just locations with big circles and lines going between them. I think that there's everything is either a track or a space to put upon. You don't even get miniatures. You just get little cardboard stand ups with little plastic bases unless you want to pop for more money. I think this game, I, I be honest with you, component wise is a disappointment. But gameplay-wise, it's a storytelling game. You, you know, if you go into it, it yeah, I think I think that you don't like this for the same reason you don't like Android. That's my theory.
1: Well, that could be. I mean, that's kind of the next point I was going to get to and where you and I differ. I mean, you've been able to see all throughout this podcast about different discussions uh, you and I have had that sure. I really don't care that much about theme. Nope. I I guess I, I do to an extent, like I'm not... A chess guy. I hate chess because all it is is permutations, okay? I need more to a game than permutations. However, I don't need a game to tell me a bedtime story, okay? (laughs) I need enough framework there to make me kind of sort of trick my brain into, okay, if I turn in three blue cubes and get a red cube, that means I'm doing better than the guy who turned in one black cube and got... Eighteen yellow cubes, mm-hmm. or whatever. I, I just, I as long as there's enough framework there that I can make all that math work in my head, okay. I'm fine with it. Okay. Yeah. Um, but you know, if if I'm playing a game for a thematic experience, if I enjoyed playing games based solely on the thematic experience, of Horror would probably be a home run, right?
0: Sure. Well, I mean, it's it's, it's 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 a, 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 a okay, a we're right? Okay, okay, but
1: it's a triple. Okay, we'll ground rule double. Sure, sure. I don't know anything about baseball maybe (laughs) I don't know it's a punt I'm not sure but anyway so uh, for a storytelling experience I'm sure it's great I'm sure there's better games out there from a storytelling point of view that do a better job Um, but if you're really into telling a story if you're into the theme if you're into Lovecraft and and getting into your character and you're going to fight the great old one at the end and whatever maybe then it's great Mm -hmm. I don't care
0: I, okay, and you know here's here's I, I want I want to throw this in there. I was actually just catching up on episodes of the Dice Tower, and they had Cody and John on on their a special guest from uh, Cody the retired podcast Cody and John Game On with Cody and John, and they were discussing Kevin Wilson's role at um, Fantasy Flight, and they said that Kevin Wilson is sort of one of these idea guys that he has fantastic ideas, and then the game itself. Not so much, like he was the guy behind Descent First Edition and then other people came along, cleaned it up and made a better game. He's one of the guys behind Arkham Horror and I think they came along and then they made Mansions of Madness, which is a better game. Does the same thing, but a little bit better. Um, you know, he's he's. It, this has happened to him a few times. And so I wonder if that's what this is, is that, you know, this is a, a great idea that was at the beginning of this, you know, trend. Cause I mean, this is a 2005 release which puts it almost the same time as, as Shadows over Camelot, doesn't it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Exactly the yep. same time. Yep.
0: Yep. There you go. So this is the same year that Shadows, which meant this was really the debut of co-op games. This is the this is one of the granddaddies of of those games. And I think I, I Richard Lanius was involved in the development. Heck of a nice guy. Got to meet him a couple months ago. Um, yeah, I don't I, I actually sort of agree with you. I think that mechanically this game is weak, but
1: it is super weak. Okay, the mechanics yeah. there is the, the hor- horrible randomness to this yep. game. Okay, there's horrible, horrendous things that happen to you, yep. and guess what? You can't do a damn thing about any of them. Unless okay, you're... not any of them. Right. You can't do a damn thing about uh half of the horrible things sure. that happen to you. It just happens, and you deal with it. Yep. Fun. Yep. Not fun. Okay. <laughs> um. It also, there. You know you. It's set up, and you feel like you have all these wonderful options. I mean, any game that takes up, you know, like half of your house has to have a lot of options, right? You'd think. No. At the end of the day, there's only a couple really good options. There's things you do to win, and then there's things you do to play the story and lose. Okay? If you want to get into sure. the story of the game you can do all these things and, oh, I have this epic narrative that I'm telling and then I get crushed by Cthulhu, okay? Or you can just, you know, think about how the game actually plays and how the mechanics work and say, okay, we do this, 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 and win, game over, okay? But people that get into the story of the game don't want to do that. You know, they, they don't want to dissect it and say, okay, we just, you know, hit these four marks and then we're going to win. They want to get into the story of the game. Mm-hmm. OK, so but for me, that that doesn't do anything for me. So when the story doesn't do anything for me and then the mechanics aren't there to do anything for yeah. me. Because it's so formulaic and it's, it's like a, you know, slap your forehead obvious what you need to do. Right. It's just, it's not, it's, uh, it's not my thing. It feels like Dominion. Okay. I love Dominion. Lots of options in Dominion seemingly. Oh, I can do this. I'll, I'll get, I'll get a village and I'll get some Smithies and I'll get all these other cards and I'll put all these wonderful combos together. And, you know, by the time I've got 85 cards in my deck, I'll be able to do these amazing things. Or you can just buy treasure cards and win. Yeah. You know, so, eh.
0: No, I gotcha. It's it's a box with a lot of stuff going on, and at the end of the day, from a straight-up gameplay standpoint, there's only ever really a couple things that you should be doing at any given turn. Yep. You know, this actually reminds me a lot of our conversation last week when we were talking about Battlestar Galactica versus Shadows over Camelot, because, I mean, also, you know, Arkham Horror is a co-op game, too, so I guess it's natural that they all sort of end up in the same sort of place. But, yeah, like when I was talking about BSG last week and I said that I thought BSG, actually I thought both games were kind of crap as far as the actual game goes. You know, it's just which one provides you a better experience. Arkham Horror, unfortunately, kind of similar. Same same sort of place.
1: Yeah, yeah. The, The mechanics are weak, but if you get into the experience of the game, then it might be good for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I think. So I think what we've learned from this, dear listener, is that Chris has no imagination. No, I'm kidding. It's. it's...
1: <laughs> well, no. See, here's the deal. I have a better imagination because in my head, I have to make wooden cubes become coffee. <laughs> wow. Okay. In, in, wow. Wow. In, 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 in some in the imagination of someone who has to play Arkham Horror, they look at the little cardboard standee and say, "Hey, I bet you I'm a guy who's wearing a fedora and carrying a Tommy gun."
0: Lord. <laughs> <laughs> that is okay a reach, uh, uh, all right
1: just a real quick other stuff i hate about this game sure way too long yeah way too much downtime agreed horrible it's just it's it's uh blah, i'm done yep. all of you arkham horror people that love it whatever i'm sorry hate me forever chris I don't Q care
0: pushers.com. There you go.
1: Chris at cube pushers.com. Direct your hate mail towards me. I will make sure I set up a rule on my mailbox that says anything containing the words Arkham and or horror shall be moved to the I don't give a crap box.
0: <laughs> nice. Nice. Very good. Oh. Anyway, there's yes, there's lots of co-ops out
1: there that do a better job. Yes. Shadows over Camelot. We talked about it last week. Pandemic ghost stories. None of those games may have the epic storytelling ability that Arkham does. Again, I don't care about that. Right. Um, Uh, none of those games I just mentioned Ghost Stories, Pandemic, Shadows of Camelot they're not overly thematic probably Pandemic is the most thematic of all of them Um, but yeah exactly Um, but still they do it better, they do it quicker they do it uh, your your downtime is less, there's more player interaction, there's there's things you can control in the game instead of just being kicked in the crotch for fun and then not being able to wear a cup
0: (laughs) nice Nice. Well, Chris, this has been about the most epic episode ever. And I think it's just, I think, I think that we just have too much fun doing this. We got to get out of here. But I want to throw you a quick teaser for next week. Next week, our game versus game spotlight is going to be Aura Labora versus Lahav, two of the Uwe Rosenberg titles that are both very highly respected. So we're going to kind of compare and contrast those two. Lots, lots similar going on there. And then I, Get to stand in the spotlight of hatred next week for my one and done. And I know, boy, oh boy, you thought that he was <laughs> polarizing with Arkham Horror. I'm ready. You can start now. El Grande is my one and done. I don't ever need to play that thing again. Yay, if the theme sad. is Cube Pushing. So until next time, folks, I'm Bill Corey. And I'm Chris Dunbar. You've been listening to Cube Pushers. Take it easy. Keep gaming. You've been listening to Cube Pushers, a proud member of the Ghost Hat Podcast Network. All music for this episode is graciously provided by RoyaltyFreeMusic.com. For more great entertainment, visit GhostHat.net or keep up with us two fools personally at CubePushers.com. Thanks for listening and keep gaming.